So from page 735, starting at verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the, pri- the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say, this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the fingers of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up the, spo- up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying this, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you, he replied. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together now. And we pray that you'd help us to understand more of your word. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us, above all, to grow stronger as your people for your glory and honour. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been spooked by the presence of evil? I must admit there was a time in my life where I was a bit curious about the presence of evil in the world. I was actually a skinny 16-year-old, and now I'm a skinny 42-year-old, but back in the day I was a skinny 16-year-old. So I, I was part of the, um, the team at McDonald's in Port Macquarie. And one of the things that McDonald's likes to try to do is uh, build their, you know, their burger crew team together. And so they took this group for a, a trip away. A bunch of 16 and 17-year-olds hopped in a minibus and we headed up to Mount Seaview for a, um, you know, a, a burger camp or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, and during that, that time, um, it was a bit of a weird experience. We, we camped into a, a barn and it was about you know, the size of this building width and probably about, about as long as well. But we would camp in the top section of it. And uh, that weekend, the rain came down spectacularly. It was solid flood rain. Uh, and during the night, it was completely, you know, big loud claps of thunder and lightning strikes all around us. 
and the barn leaked as well, so that wasn't great. But the, um, that night, some of the teenagers decided they wanted to get into spirituality. And so some of them got together and they were going to have a seance. They wanted to tap into the spirit world. And so I think while I was hanging around upstairs trying to either get some sleep or get dripped on, uh, some of them went downstairs and they, I think they got out a Ouija board to try to tap into the spiritual world. Well, that night, one of the guys, I remember, uh, he started to get spooked. And uh, one of the other blokes did just said, you know, did you see Johnny or whatever his name was? I can't remember. Uh, I said, what's the matter? He says, well, he's, um, he's starting to freak out. He's panicking because he's been involved in this spiritual experience. Well, we managed to get through the night. This guy didn't flip out altogether. And the next day we met the host of this particular camp and he described himself as a psychic. And what made it weirder was he'd, he'd written a letter to a... There was a girl called uh, Annalise, but he'd written a letter to a Leanne. Or a, he, he was kind of having this psychic connection with one of the crew members. And so he'd read this letter and later on she opened it, read it and sort of shared around and it was, a, it was weird stuff. And I remember as this guy then introduced himself as to thinking, well, this letter's crazy, but this bloke's even crazier. So, yeah, this was a, a psychic presenting some spirituality. Well, I managed to survive the trip, came back to Port Macquarie. But up until that time, I hadn't really thought too much about spiritual dimensions of the universe. As a 16-year-old, I'm really just starting to grapple with some of these things. But after that, I started to think more carefully about life, death, the universe, God, and the devil. But the question is, have you had that kind of thought yourself? Have you thought about the spiritual dimension of the universe that we live in? Have you made up your mind whether there is even an evil dimension to it? Or are you still weighing things up? Well, today, in the passage that was read out before by Jacinta, we start to get confronted with evil and spiritual forces that seem to be expressed. But the question is, what are we going to do and how are we going to respond to the presence of evil? Well, if you're following in the outline now, we're up to the historical context, point number one. We've seen so far in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is on the move. He's on the move towards Jerusalem. He's wearing his Jesus sandals and he's on the, on the trip with his disciples. His life's been characterised altogether by faithfulness to God and a big part of that has been his prayer life. We saw last week when Scott spoke, he talked to us about the Lord's Prayer. And one of the elements of the Lord's Prayer was when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. Now that's not to say that God is tempting us to sin, but it's a, way of, it's a figure of speech. It's a way of saying, look, we don't need temptation right now. That, that wouldn't be any good for us. So don't lead us there. Lead us away from that. Guide us away from temptation. But it's an important point in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Because it reminds us that we live in a fallen world where we will experience all manner of temptations. But the Bible tells us that the temptations that we're encountering are a bit complex. It's partly bound up with this struggle with the forces of evil and a tempter. 
Jesus himself was tempted by Satan 40 days in the wilderness. He was tempted to bow down and worship Satan and to avoid uh, going to glory by means of suffering. Later on in his ministry, uh, Peter also said to him, you know, the Messiah is not supposed to suffer and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's the same kind of temptation to avoid going to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus encouraged his disciples to watch and to pray so that they don't fall into temptation. And elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter reminds us that God's people will be involved in a spiritual battle, part of which is temptation. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And so we see that there is this spiritual dimension where there is a devil, there is a Satan who tempts people and our responsibility is to resist that. Well, the Apostle Paul refers to him as the devil and, sorry, the Apostle Peter refers to him as the devil, but the Apostle Paul also speaks about this leader of evil as the one who's described as the ruler of the um, kingdom of the air. Paul describes a situation where people who become Christians move from one dominion to another dominion. He writes to the Colossians about this process. He describes these people who were Gentiles and were involved in pagan rituals and spirituality. These people became Christians and he says of them that they're the ones who now share in the inheritance in the saints in the kingdom of light. He's saying that that change now, they're now involved in a different kingdom. He says, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So he's saying living outside of the lordship of Jesus is described as living in the dominion of darkness. And that dominion, Paul says, has a ruler, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so Paul calls upon Christians to recognise this spiritual dimension in the universe. And he then challenges them to walk closely with God and be in prayer. He says... Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So Paul's saying it's part of our worldview that we've got to accept there's an evil dimension that we're, we're grappling with. Now, as we look at today's passage, we see something of a visible expression of that evil in this life of the man. And so we're in point two of the outline. I'll pick it up in verse 14. We're seeing the signs of a spiritual struggle. In verse 14, we read, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who 
had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. And so the point to note is that the man's not just got a speech difficulty that he was sort of born with or he didn't get to a speech therapist. The problem we hear is, is a demon that, that's making it difficult for him to speak. Now we know that Jesus has performed exorcisms throughout this gospel. We've seen that earlier. And here he deals with the situation once again to bring release for this man who can't speak. So what we see is demons out, the man speaks again, and the crowds are amazed. The people marvel at what's going on. It's, a, it's an amazing thing that's happened. But not everybody in the crowd is marvelling. They're not all amazed. They're, some of them are sceptical. By what kind of power or authority did Jesus do this? What was going on behind the scenes to bring about this kind of spectacular result? Well, some in the crowd standing there with their Middle Eastern clothing on and I'm not sure what they wear on their heads to stop their getting sunburnt, uh, they think they've figured it out. They think, well, it's, it's through the power of the evil one that Jesus is doing this. So we see that in verse 15 and 16, if you're reading on. Jesus was accused of being one with the enemy. But one of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons... He's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Well, in the first place, we've got to ask, who is this Beelzebul? Well, this sort of short answer, I'll try and give a shortish answer here, uh, is it comes from the name Baal to start with. Baal was the Canaanite storm god. And his full name could be, is, was Baal Zebul which when it's translated means Baal the prince or Prince Baal or Baal from the high abode. Now in the past the Israelites have had a bit to do with uh, some of the Canaanite gods and when they referred to Baal Zebul they tweaked his name a little bit and called him Baal Zebub with a B on the end and that changed it from being uh, Lord Baal or Prince Baal to Lord or Prince of the Flies. And there's a, there's a book, um, I think, by William Golding called Lord of the Flies. Anyway, so this is the, the Prince of Demon, the, the Lord of the Flies. And we see this reference in the Old Testament, uh, if you'd kindly turn to 2 Kings chapter, chapter 1. Now, if you're flipping open your Red Pew Bible, the page number is 259. 2 Kings chapter 1. And if you're not looking it up, that's okay, because I'm going to read it anyway. But it's page 259 in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 1. Elijah is sent to Samaria to correct the, the king there, the Samaritan king, for his idolatry. And this is what we read. 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After Ahab's death... Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, 
Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going off to consult Baal-zebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you will not leave the bed you are lying on, you will certainly die. So Elijah went. You can read the rest of your story, the story later on. So we see that Baal-zebub gets some attention in the Old Testament, but the proper name was Baal-zebul, which is why our, our New Testaments have got Baal-zebul, not bub. So some of the crowd think they've figured out what's going on. They think that, uh, okay, maybe the, the demons come out of the man, but it's because of the prince of demons, the power of him, that these things are happening. Then there's others who are just wanting to have a sign. Uh, he's just performed some miracle, and then they're asking for a sign. It's kind of weird, isn't it? So they want a magician. They want somebody... I nearly brought a hat with a rabbit in it today to say they want a magician to pull out a rabbit out of a hat. Uh, but Jesus is no magician. But he does set the record straight in verses 17 to 23. So I'll, I'll pick that up. Now, in the first place, what we need to note is that Jesus equates the name Beelzebul with Satan. It's one and the same, the prince of demons. And then he goes on to undermine their logic and show that they've made a blunder. They've made a misunderstanding. Their logic doesn't even stack up. We see that in verse 17 to 19. Well, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Well, in short, Jesus is saying, if Satan's got his deputies and they're fighting against each other, that's a ridiculous situation because that would only lead to the downfall of his kingdom. That's not what's going on, Jesus is saying. He further then goes and makes a comment and saying, well, if you're going to slander me and say that what I'm doing is by the power of the evil one, wouldn't you say the same thing about those who are doing exorcisms amongst you? Apparently others are doing some exorcisms. Would those in the crowd who are slandering Jesus make the same kind of slander about other people? We see that in verse 19. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. You're saying, well, look, if you're going to say that I'm doing it by the power of the evil one, you might as well say they're doing it by the power of the evil one too, and they're going to tell you, no, we're not. Now, at this point, it's worth pausing to note that this is um, weird stuff, if I could put it that way. Um, we don't know a lot about exorcisms taking place. There's not too many passages in the Bible that refer to it. But there is one passage in Acts which talks about some Jews who are apparently involved in this kind of practice. So if you want to turn now to Acts chapter 19, and you'll find that on page 787 in the Red Pew Bible, page 787. Now when you get to Acts chapter 19, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And I've always wanted to read this story out, actually, in front of church. This is, this is one of the more entertaining parts of the Bible, I think. Okay, Acts chapter 19, verse 13. 
some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So there we see, there's some Jews who were doing this kind of thing. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Yeah, that would be an interesting thing to see, wouldn't it? Well, in the passage before us in Luke, Jesus wants to know, okay, well, you're saying I'm doing things by the power of Satan, but would you say that about the others as well? And the answer is they probably, the others would deny that they're doing things by the, the power of Satan. So he's showing that they, they misunderstand. They think they know what's going on behind the scenes, but they're misunderstanding it, and they've made a blunder in attributing Jesus' work to the work of Satan. Well, now Jesus does start to break into an explanation about what's really going on, what's going on behind the scenes. And he does so by pointing to the times in verse 20. He says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In effect, Jesus is saying, It's not by the prince of demons that this has happened, but it is by the finger of God. Now, do you remember the last time you read that expression about this is by the finger of God? You would have read it, probably in Sunday school, because it's actually in Exodus at the time of the plagues when Moses is driving, getting ready to take the people out of Egypt uh, and the mighty acts of gods are being performed. This is what we're told in Exodus chapter 8. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats, so this is one of the mighty works. Verse 18, but when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. And so we see that the, the works, the mighty acts that were performed in the past were understood to be the work of God. God was at work to liberate his people in the past in the Old Testament and God is at work in the ministry of Jesus to bring release and to liberate people in the New Testament. And more than that, Jesus lets them know that this miracle is a sign. It's a sign that the reign of God or the kingship of God, the kingdom of God, has now come upon them. God in his sovereignty is in control of all things and nothing is going to stop Jesus bringing God's kingdom in. The question is, are we aware of the times? Are we aware of what's happening in the ministry of Jesus and how it affects us? With the ministry of Jesus, God's kingdom was breaking in upon the present. And we now live in what's described as the overlap of the ages. This is the, the kingdom has come now, but not yet, period. 
And we can see that this is a tension that even Jesus is getting us to handle because he's, he's just finished saying that the kingdom of God has come upon you and yet in the Lord's Prayer he's also got his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come. Now it's important to accept this tension because at times uh, Christians can be altogether discouraged if they think, well, the kingdom's now come, uh, things should be okay for Christians and God's people. But they can get altogether discouraged when they experience the hardships of this age. When Christians experience sickness, grief, even trivial things like boredom, heartbreak, poverty, depression, all manner of sorrows in this age. Sometimes Christians think that if this is the age of the kingdom, what's happening to me to experience these things and is God really in control? Well, the news is well, God's kingdom has come upon this age. Jesus has it's broken in his, with his ministry, but at the same time, uh, it hasn't come into all in its fullness at as when God's going to restore all things at the end and bring the judgment day. And so when we struggle with the hardships of this age, it's, it's important for us to remember that, okay, the kingdom hasn't come in all its fullness yet. And so we're still called to walk by faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God, as we wait for the salvation to come at the end. Well, Jesus wants to reinforce that the the kingdom of God is breaking in and it is overpowering the reign of Satan. And so he, he tries to show us that this, this kingdom's unstoppable and it will happen with an illustration. And I'll pick that up in verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, he's armed to the teeth, guards his house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Well, in that little illustration, Satan represents a sort of an armed guard, a strong man. But Jesus represents the even stronger man. Jesus overpowers Satan and he rescues people from the dominion of darkness and he brings them in to the kingdom of God. And that's really what happens, isn't it, when somebody becomes a Christian. They've moved from one dominion and one prince, the prince of the power of the air, of the kingdom of the air, to another dominion with Jesus as Lord in the kingdom of God. And nothing's going to stop God's kingdom coming in. And so because it's unstoppable, because God in his sovereignty will bring about the time of his kingdom, uh, Jesus challenges people as to whether they stand with him or really with Satan. In verse 23, we're all left with a challenge. Are uh, we with Jesus or against him? Will we live under the rule of Jesus as king in the kingdom of God or will we remain under the ruler of the kingdom of the air within the dominion of darkness? That's the challenge. Well, Jesus then goes on to proceed with some 
further teaching about spiritual struggle in verse 24. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Well, these are some tricky words to get a handle on at this point uh, in the Bible. I don't think Jesus is saying his exorcisms were bad, that he somehow exorcises the demon out of this mute man and then after a little while, seven more come and make the problem even worse than when he began, that somehow Jesus exorcising demons gives people an even bigger problem, a sevenfold problem. I don't think he's saying that. I think he might be probably referring to perhaps some of the exorcisms that are taking place that have got nothing to do with being done in his name and involving a person coming to receive the Holy Spirit and life with God. In that story we read from Acts chapter 19, uh, there, there were some Jews doing some of these weird kinds of things, weird exorcisms, but it, it didn't have anything to do with bringing people's minds to Jesus as Lord and Saviour and giving them a life with God. Whatever temporary solution that those people might have received, it seems that their end product is still worse. And they've still got no assurance that if they don't have Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and somehow they've got a living faith in him, that anything's improved with their relationship with God. So it's difficult to know the exact meaning of what these words are in Luke, but Jesus might be referring to some of those exorcisms that are taking place without any real hope in uh, what he's doing to bring salvation. I must say, as I read the commentaries on this, sometimes there's there's diversity of thought there too. So it's, it's a little tricky to get a handle on altogether. Well, in the next section, we see that it's important to get a right focus on this struggle. There's a lady there who is hearing these things and she seems to draw the wrong kind of conclusion out of what Jesus is saying. In verse 27, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Well, in this spiritual struggle, Jesus is saying, let's get a grip. The critical thing isn't to be sentimental. The critical thing is how we respond to God. Responding to God the right way is the important thing. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Well, this comment about hearing God's word and responding uh, genuinely, being uh, serious about our reaction to God and his word and his claim on our lives is important and it sets up a little bit of a battlefield to come because some of the people who'd been described as the Pharisees and the scribes who were, had a pretty good handle on the scriptures, their problem was that they, they didn't really take seriously obeying God and, and living in response to it the right way. And so Jesus is saying the key thing is to actually not just know about the Bible, we could be as orthodox as the Apostle Paul, but if we don't love God and want to respond in obedience, 
That's a problem. Well, throughout this passage, we have witnessed the language of struggle and battle. Jesus has picked up this metaphor of battle as he's described himself as the even stronger man who overpowers the armed guard, Satan. And the key in this struggle is that we stand with Jesus and stand in God's kingdom. A sign that we are with him and that we are in his kingdom is that we are willing to hear God's word and obey it. We don't just treat it lightly. The important thing for us this week as we think about our lives, as we experience temptations and different struggles, is that we see the battle for what it is. There is a spiritual dimension. We will be tempted, but we've got to take our refuge in Christ. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, as Paul says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, given that's the kind of battle we're in, the challenge for us is to hold on to Christ, to keep walking with him as Lord until we enter the kingdom that comes in its fullness at the end. May God strengthen us this week as we seek to walk with him as our Lord and Saviour. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you that today we can um, just grapple with this, this spiritual dimension to the world in which we live. And Lord, we do confess that there are times when we, we are affected by temptation and we pray for wisdom to uh, resi resist the devil and to flee from him. Lord, we... Um, give you thanks that we can start to see with clarity that even though your king, kingdom has broken in and we do enjoy your salvation through Jesus, we still live in an age that's characterised by difficulties. And so, Lord, we do with Jesus pray that your kingdom would come in all its fullness at the end. And so, Lord, we pray for ourselves now and for this week that um, we walk closely with you. We pray for your help in that. And we pray that you'd strengthen us to make it to the end of the race as your people. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.